Welcome to the Useful Programmer podcast. Today I'm reading a article by Lawrence Lessig. The piece is called Code is Law on Liberty in Cyberspace. Every age has its potential regulator, its threat to liberty. Our founders feared a newly empowered federal government. The Constitution is written against that fear. John Stuart Mills worried about the regulation by societal norms in 19th century England. His book on liberty is written against that regulation. Many of the progressives in the 20th century worried about the injustices of the market. The reforms of the market and the safety nets that surround it were erected in response. Ours is the age of cyberspace. It too has a regulator. This regulator too threatens liberty. But so obsessed are we with the idea that liberty means freedom from government that we don't even see the regulation in this new space. We therefore don't see the threat to liberty that this regulation represents. The regulator is code, the software and hardware that make cyberspace as it is. This code or architecture sets the terms on which life in cyberspace is experienced. It determines how easy it is to protect privacy or how easy it is to censor speech. It determines whether access to information is general or whether information is zoned. It affects who sees what or what is monitored. In hosts of ways that one cannot begin to see unless one begins to understand the nature of this code, the code of cyberspace regulates. This regulation is changing. The code of cyberspace is changing. And as this code changes, the character of cyberspace will change as well. Cyberspace will change from a place that protects anonymity, free speech, and individual control to a place that makes anonymity harder, speech less free, and individual control of the province of individual experts only. My aim in the short essay is to give a sense of this regulation and a sense of how it is changing. For unless we understand how cyberspace can embed or displace values from our constitutional tradition, we will lose control over those values. The law in cyberspace code will displace them. <clears throat> the regulations of code. The basic code of the internet implements a set of protocols called TCP slash IP. These protocols enable the exchange of data among interconnected networks. This exchange occurs without the networks knowing the content of the data or without any true idea of who in real life the sender of a given bit of data is. The code is neutral about the data and ignorant about the user. These features of TCP slash IP have consequences for the regulability of behavior on the internet. They make regulating behavior difficult. To the extent that it is hard to identify who people are, it is harder to trace behavior back to a particular individual. And to the extent it is hard to identify what kind of data is being sent, it is harder to regulate the use of particular kinds of data. These architectural features of the internet mean that governments are relatively dis abled in their ability to regulate behavior on the net. In some context, for some, this unregulability is a virtue. This feature of the net, for example, protects free speech. It codes a First Amendment into the architecture of cyberspace because it makes it relatively hard for governments or powerful institutions to control who says what when. Information 
from Bosnia or East Timor can flow freely to the world because the net makes it hard for governments in those countries to control how information flows. The net makes it hard because its architecture makes it hard. But in other contexts, in the view of others, this unregulability is not a virtue. Take the German government confronted by Nazi speech, for example, or the U.S. government faced with child pornography. In these contexts, the architecture disables regulation as well. But in these contexts, unregulability is viewed as a vice. And not just the Nazi speech and child porn. The most important contexts of regulation in the future will affect internet commerce, where the architecture does not enable secure transactions, where it makes it very easy to hide the source of interferences, where it facilitates the distribution of illegal copies of software and music. In these contexts, commerce, at least, will not view unregulability as a virtue. Unregulability will interface with the ability of commerce to flourish. So what can be done? There are many who think that nothing can be done, that the in unregulability of the internet is fixed, and there is nothing we can do to change it, that it will, so long as it is the internet, remain unregulable space, and its nature makes it so. But no thought is more dangerous to the future of liberty in cyberspace than this faith in freedom guaranteed by the code. The code is not fixed. The architecture of cyberspace is not given. Unregulability is a feature of code, but the code can change. Other architectures can be layered into the basic TCP IP protocols, and these other architectures can make behavior on the net fundamentally regulable. Commerce is building these other architectures. The government can help, and the two together can transform the character of the net. They can, and they are. Other architectures. What makes the net unregulable is that it is hard to tell who someone is and hard to know the character of the content being delivered. Both of these are now changing. Architectures for facilitating identification, or more generally for certifying facts about the user, for example, that he is over 18, that he is a he, that he is an American, that he is a lawyer, are emerging. Architectures for rating content, porn, hate speech, violent speech, political speech, have been described and are being implemented. Each is being developed without the mandate of government, and the two together could facilitate an extraordinary degree of control over behavior on the net. The two together, that is, could flip the unregulability of the net. Could, depending upon how they are designed. Architectures are not binary. There is not simply a choice about implementing an identification architecture or rating architecture or not. What the architecture enables and how it limits its control are choices, and depending upon those choices, much more than regulability will be at stake. Consider identification or certification architectures first. We have many certification architectures in real space. The driver's license is a simple example. When the police stop you and demand your license, they are asking for a certain certification that you are licensed to drive. That certification includes your name, your sex, your age, where you live. It must include all that because there is no other simple way to link the license to the person. You must give up all these facts about yourself to certify that, in fact, you are the proper holder of the license. But certification in cyberspace could be much more narrowly tailored. If a site required that only adults enter, you could, using 
certification technologies certify that you were an adult without also revealing who you were and where you came from. The technology could make it possible to selectively certify facts about you while withholding other facts about you. The technology could function under a least revealing means test in cyberspace, even if it can't in real space. Could, depending upon how it was designed. But there is no necessity that it will develop like this. There are other architectures developing. We could call them one card shows all. In these architectures, there is no simple way to limit what gets revealed by a certificate. If a certificate holds your name, address, age, citizenship, and whether you are a lawyer, and if you need to certify that you are a lawyer, this architecture would certify not only that you are a lawyer, but also all the other facts about you that the certificate holds. Under this architecture, more is better. Nothing enables the individual to steer for less. The difference between these designs is that one enables privacy in a way that the other does not. One codes privacy into an identification architecture by giving the user a simple choice about how much is revealed. The other is oblivious to that value. Thus, whether the certification art architecture that emerges protects privacy depends upon the choices of those who code. Their choices depend upon the incentives they face. If protecting privacy is not an incentive, if the market has not sufficiently demanded it, and if the law has not either, then this code will not provide it. The example about identification is just one of many. Consider another involving information privacy. Real Jukebox is a technology for copying music from CD to a computer, as well as for downloading music from the net to store on a computer's hard drive. In October, it was revealed that the system was a bit nosy, that it snooped the hard disk of the user and reported back to the company what it found. It did this secretly, of course. Real Networks didn't tell anyone its product was collecting and reporting personal data. It just did. When this snooping was discovered, the company at first defended the practice. They were saying no data about individuals were actually stored. But it quickly came to its senses and promised not to collect such data. This problem is caused, again, by the architecture. You can't easily tell in cyberspace who's snooping what. And while the problem might be corrected by an architecture, here's a case where a law would do well. If these data were deemed the property of the individual, then taking them without express permission would be theft. In these contexts, the, and others, architectures will enable values from our tradition or not. In each, there will be decisions about how best to build out the Internet's architecture, consistent with the, those values, and how to integrate those architectures with law. The choice about code and law will be a choice about values. Making choices about values. So should we have a role in choosing this code if this code will choose our values? Should we care about how values emerge here? In another time, this would have been an odd question. Self-government is all about tracking and modifying influences and affect fundamental values. Or, as I described them at the start, regulations that affect li liberty. In another time, we would have said, obviously, we should care. Obviously, we should have a role. But we live in an era of fundamentally skeptical about self-government. Our age is obsessed with leaving things alone. Let the internet develop as the coders would develop it, the common view has it. Keep government out. This is understandable view, given the character of our government's regulation. Given its flaws, it no doubt seems best simply to keep government away. But this is an indulgence 
that is dangerous at any time. It is particularly dangerous now. Our choice is not between regulation and no regulation. The code regulates. It implements values or not. It enables freedoms or disables them. It protects privacy or promotes monitoring. People choose how the code does these things. People write the code. Thus, the choice is not whether people will decide how cy cyberspace regulates. People, or coders, will. The only choice is whether we collectively will have a role in their choice, and thus in determining how these values regulate, or whether collectively we will allow the coders to select our values for us. For here's the obvious point. When government steps aside, it's not as if nothing takes its place. It's not as if private interests have no interests, as if private interests have ends that they will then pursue. To push the anti-government button is not to teleport us to Eden. When the interests of government are gone, other interests take its place. Do we know what those interests are? Are we so certain that they are anything better? Our first response should be hesitation. It is proper to let the market develop first, but as the Constitution checks and limits what Congress does, so too should constitutional values check and limit what a market does. We should test both the laws of Congress and the product of a market against these values. We should interrogate the architecture of cyberspace as we interrogate the code of Congress. Unless we do, or unless we learn how, the relevance of our constitutional tradition will fade. The importance of our commitment to fundamental values through self-consciously enacted constitution will fade. We will miss the threat that this age presents to the liberties and the values that we have inherited. The law of cyberspace will be how cyberspace codes it, but we have lost our role in setting that law. Lawrence Lessig is the Berkman Professor for Entrepreneurial Legal Studies at Harvard Law School. His most recent book, Code and Other Laws of Cyberspace, has just been published. Uh, the website of the Berkman Center for Internet and Society at the law school is cyber.law.harvard.edu. Okay, cool. So I was just bringing this up. This is an older article. Um, this is 1.1. Apparently, this has been melded into some of his more recent books, but I thought it was interesting to bring this because it's, um, it's an older article, and it's from a time back in the day when you used to think about taking CDs, taking, taking the files from CDs and putting them onto your hard drive. Um, I think it goes without mentioning. Here we are in 2020. That's not something that really happens today. But um, I really enjoyed this article because it makes you think about when writing applications, do you provide all the information that is potentially there? Or do you just say, hey, we just need to check this person's age? That kind of thing. And as software engineer or software programmers and hackers, we get to make those decisions. And those decisions are important. And so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Useful Programmer Podcast. I'll see you in the next one.